Thanks for joining us here on the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Steve Horton, and I'm the Communications Director here at Rolling Hills. This week, we continue to celebrate the season of Lent. We're in our second sermon of our Easter series. Although we know Jesus overcame death, we would all do well to take some time reflecting on this part of the story. God has sent His Son to serve a sinful humanity, and man brutally and mercilessly put Him to death. How did God take this bleakest of moments and turn it into good? Scripture holds the answers, and we can't wait to explore them with you today. Who is this Jesus? He claimed to be the Savior, the one the world had been waiting for. His arrival was celebrated, but then everything changed. He was rejected, despised, tortured, crucified, buried in a tomb. Yet, in this act, the work was revealed. The promise was fulfilled. He defeated death, rose from the grave, and the world would never be the same. Who is this Jesus? He is who he said he is. He is our savior, our hope, and he is alive. Good morning, good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. It's so good to be together today. I'm so glad that you're here, whether you're here in our Franklin campus, you're joining online. So grateful that we could come and worship Jesus together. And and welcome back to our Easter series. Now, I love Easter. I just love it. I love this time of year. I love that it's spring. I love the sun is out, light. I just love being with our family. It's just so great, you know, and Easter is just such a joyful time. I mean, there's so many great things that are happening right now in Easter. And, you know, you think about all the things that come out of Easter. You got Easter baskets. You got those little peeps, little things. I don't know. Anybody like those things? I don't know. But uh, thank you, a few people right here. I'm going to get you some, uh, you know. But those things are good. Uh, Cadbury eggs, right? There's all kinds of things that come out just at Easter. It's like the special time, Easter baskets, Easter dresses, you know, the flowers. It's just a special time. I mean, it's Easter, right? And the most of all that we celebrate is it's about Jesus and the resurrection, that Jesus is alive. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about how do we know and follow Jesus every day? How do we celebrate Easter and become Easter people every day of our life, right? Not just one time or one season, but to live with him for the glory of God in every part and every day of our life. And so in our series, man, we're building up. We're building up to that Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection. And, and you know, Easter is not just about the resurrection, right? There's a fuller story here that's developing. That God has been at work the whole time since the beginning of time. To redeem and to restore mankind. And so we're seeing that, that God would send his son, Jesus. Last week we talked about Jesus' claim. Jesus' claim to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And Jesus made that claim, right? I mean, he was bold about it. It wasn't like, hey, I'm just a great moral teacher. Hey, I'm a prophet, right? I have these great teachings. No, it was like, I'm the Son of God. I'm the Messiah. The whole Old Testament was leading up to me. And as C.S. Lewis says, right, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Everybody's got to decide. Right? Because, I mean, he didn't mess around. He, I mean, he was either a liar, a lunatic, or he is the Lord, the Lord of all. And so we saw last week Jesus' claim. And then Jesus' claim, what did it lead to? Jesus was arrested. He was arrested. He was taken before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. He was bound. They said, blasphemy. You were saying you're the Son of God. Jesus didn't back down from that at all. And so they took him. They handed him over to Pilate. And, and last week we saw the hard things 
We saw the difficult side. Easter brings all this joy and excitement. But man, there is a, a pain. There is a suffering that leads up to that joy and that excitement. And if we skip over that, we miss the weight and the joy of Easter. If we don't understand the price that was paid. And so Jesus handed over to Pilate. And Pilate, this Roman governor at the time, has this face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And he's sitting there looking at Jesus and he's realizing this is an innocent man. And even Pilate's own wife comes and sends a message and says, hey, have nothing to do with him. I'm telling you, I had a dream. Pilate, he's innocent. And Pilate is stuck. Pilate's trying to make this decision, right? He's trying to release Barabbas. He's trying to appease the crowd because the crowd's chanting crucified because of the religious leaders. And, And so Pilate's in this moment of like, what do I believe about Jesus? And every one of us has to answer that question. What do you believe about Jesus? And there was Pilate. I know Jesus would change my life. I know it would impact me if I started to follow Jesus. And so in that moment, it tells us in Mark 15, 15, wanting to satisfy the crowd. And how many people have missed Jesus because they want to satisfy the crowd? Wanting to satisfy the crowd, he hands Jesus over to be crucified. And today we're looking at Jesus' death. And why is that important? Why is that significant? You know, death impacts all of us, right? Death's a part of life. There's probably been somebody in your life that's been close to you, special to you, and, and man, you still miss them today. Uh, you know, I grew up in a great Christian home. I'm so thankful. My mom grew up in a great Christian family. My dad, not as much, but my dad came to know Christ in his 20s, and then my dad never looked back. You know, he just was so on fire for the Lord. He was active in church. He took us to church. I'm so thankful to have godly parents, and I pray that for all of us, right? I, I pray that we would be godly parents of your grandparents or wherever you are in life. But man, that God just worked in my dad's life. My dad and I were really close growing up. You know, we, we connected through sports, played baseball, basketball, all those kind of sports. Uh, my dad was a really good golfer. I didn't beat my dad in golf until I was in my 20s. And so I remember it like it was yesterday because we were on 18, we're coming in, and, and, and I made this putt, and I was so excited. I threw my putter in the air. I was just dancing around like I'd won the Masters, you know. And, and uh, I mean, I was so excited. But my dad and I were close. And I remember, I remember when I moved to Nashville, and, and here I was, and I, and I called my dad, and, and Lisa and I were early 30s. We were just married, you know. And I was like, Dad, I feel like God's calling us to plant a church. And, and I'm looking for wisdom and for advice. And my dad's like, if that's what God's calling you to do, we're behind you 100%. We're going to send a check. We want to be the first ones to give. We want to be a part. And five years later, my parents moved from San Antonio, Texas to be here for the grandkids. I know, you know, but, but also to be a part of this church, right? And uh, just active and everything. Well, about seven years ago, my dad uh, got sick. And uh, here he was, um, got sick, and it, and it started to go down. And I remember when I went to the hospital, and there I was with my dad. And it was tough because, I mean, I'm close to my dad. And then they called in hospice and and we're there with the whole family, and, and the hospice nurses came in. And they go, you guys are believers, aren't you? And we're like, yeah, how could you tell? And they go, we could tell because we're around death a lot. And when you walk in the room, and some people, they aren't believers. There is just fear. I mean, it is, it is dark. And then you walk in sometimes when they're believers, and you can just see there's a peace. And I was like, yeah, my dad's been walking with the Lord for, you know, 40 or 50 years now. And, man, he just loves the Lord. And, and so in that moment, it was January 11th, and I'll, I'll never forget, and, we had watched the football game, the national championship game, and then after that, my dad closed his eyes and he went home to be with Jesus. And I still miss him. You know, seven years later, right? I still miss him. But, but death's a part of all of our lives. Every one of you has a story like that. Every one of you has a story about a, a, a mom or a dad or a grandparent or, or a child or, or a friend or somebody who was close to you. Death impacts all of us. And today we're talking about Jesus' death. And you think about this. 
out of all the billions of people who've died in the world, why are we still talking about the death of Jesus? I mean, Jesus who died 2,000 years ago, he only lived 33 years on this earth, right? He, he was homeless, <laughs> carpenter, but his death changed the life of every one of us. His death, still 2,000 years later, impacts you in greater ways than you could ever dream or ever imagine. It's the death of Jesus. Oh, we're going to celebrate his resurrection, but his death makes an impact for you and me today. If you have a Bible with you today, I invite you, open with me to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. So go back with me, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels, all talking about Jesus, and we're seeing these different perspectives, but we're seeing what happened that last week with Jesus as he led up to the cross and even to his death. If you are watching online, you can go to the Rolling Hills app and we'll have the scripture for you there. Last week we were in verses 1 through 15. We saw Pilate handed Jesus off to be flogged, which means 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. That's bone and glass in the back. So Jesus' back is shredded. Many people didn't even survive the flogging. But then he's handed over to be crucified. And pick up in verse 16. We'll be in 16 through 32 today is our text. It says, The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium. And they called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on his head. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and they spit on him. And falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and they put on his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. So here's Jesus right after he is beaten there and they, they mock him and then they put the cross on him. The cross probably weighed 75 to 100 pounds. It's a crossbar. Now he's got to carry the cross. And he, he's going down the, the Via Della Rosa. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you can go and there are stations of the cross that you stop there. And, and he stumbles at this place, about station five there. And, and there's this guy, Simon of Cyrene. And it says that he had come in for the festival. He was, a, he was Jewish probably. He was coming in from northern Africa to worship at the temple, to bring his sacrifice. He comes there with his two sons. Aren't you glad you haven't had to travel that far, you know, to come to worship? I mean, but here he is coming to offer the sacrifice there at the temple. The Jews were required or encouraged that three times a year to come to the Jerusalem, to come to the temple at the feast, at the festivals. And so here's this guy, Simon of Cyrene, and he's got his two sons, Alexander and Rufus. And Simon comes face to face with Jesus. They grab him out of the crowd. They say, you, carry the cross. He's, he's stumbling. He can't carry it. And so here's Simon looking at Jesus. It's interesting it mentions the name of his two sons, isn't it? Now, many people believe that the two sons became leaders in the early church, that Simon, after hearing about Jesus' resurrection, takes the gospel back to northern Africa, and Alexander and Rufus may become leaders later on. In fact, in Romans chapter 16, the apostle Paul mentions Rufus, the impact here on an entire family. He carries the cross and they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Some anesthesia, you know, to deaden the pain, but he didn't take it. And they crucified him. They crucified him. Now, crucifixion was the worst possible way to die, right? They would literally put nails in your, 
in your wrist and in your feet. And, and to breathe, you would have to push up on the nail. And many people died of suffocation or blood loss from it. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. And that was a Messianic prophecy from Psalm 22. Remember last week we talked about 300 Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, all fulfilled in Jesus. Every one of them, written hundreds of years before. Unbelievable. Look what God was doing. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written, the written notice of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. Oh, he could have at any moment. He called down a legion of angels from heaven, but he didn't. Why? In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel... Come down from the cross that we may see and believe. You know what's interesting? After the resurrection, what do people say? They see and they believe. They see and believe. There it is right there. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. What do we learn from Jesus' death? Man, we love the happy part of Easter. I love it. I love it. I love it. I can't wait for two weeks to celebrate the resurrection. But listen, we can't skip over the death. We can't skip over the price that was paid for you and for me. Jesus' death matters to us still today. So if you're taking notes today, here's some things I'd love for you to write down. If you are here and you got your worship guide with you, if you want to write some things down. If you are watching online, you go to the Rolling Hills app, and there's a place to fill in some blanks. Look at this. Sin must be addressed. Sin must be addressed. You know, it says, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. But remember, the Jews are looking for a political Messiah. They wanted Jesus to come riding in on a stallion to overthrow the Romans, right? To start a revolution and, and to kick the Romans out. But Jesus was doing so much more. It wasn't just for the Jews. This was for all mankind. This was bigger than they could have ever imagined right here. Look, God created man for a relationship with him. In fact, if you ever wonder, why am I here? Now, why did God create me? I'll tell you why God created you. He created you for a relationship with him. There is a God-shaped hole inside every person. And it's only fulfilled when you know the Lord, when you have a relationship with him and you're walking with him. See, God created man, Adam and Eve, and he put them in this beautiful garden, right? And in Genesis 1 and 2, it was awesome. I mean, they were in right relationship with God. They were in right relationship with each other. had this great marriage. Things were good. And everything's great in the Bible for two chapters, right? And then you get to chapter 3, and they're like, God, we don't want to do it your way. We want to do it our way. And sin, take and eat from the tree that they were, hey, you got all this, but don't eat from that one. And they say, no, we're going to do it our way, God. And they take and eat, and now all of a sudden, sin's in the world. How many of you are designed to live forever right now? You've got death, you've got decay, you've got brokenness, you've got pain. See, here's the thing, right? God is holy. Holy means to be set apart. Holy means to be separate, right? In him there is no sin. So what do you do now? You've got a holy God and you've got sinful man. You've got a holy God who is perfect and now you've got sinful man. There is a separation. There is a separation. But God is a God of mercy, but he is also a God of justice. 
And you're thinking, well, it's no big deal, right? It's just sin. I mean, just can't he ignore it? I mean, that's just like, you know, it's like, you know, do whatever you want to. You know, it's fine. Live however you want to be, right? There's no absolute truth. I mean, that's the kind of thing you think. It's no big deal, right? Well, it's a big deal to God. He's a God of mercy, but he's also a God of justice. And aren't we thankful? He's a God of justice. I mean, there's things in this world that are broken. There's things that God steps in and says, no, this isn't right. And he makes things new and he makes things right. Hey, Jesus' death is to atone for sin. Jesus' death is to atone for sin. And we can't get casual about sin. Sometimes we just go, well, it's no big deal, right? God will forgive me. <laughs> ah, it doesn't matter, right? Nobody knows. Nobody sees. It's nobody. Well, if you think about it, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, it's not a cheap grace. Our sin put Jesus on the cross. And Jesus atones for sin. Atones for sin. In 1821, there was a severe famine in Ireland. And all the potato farmers were, were, you know, in dire straits. And there was a landowner named Charles Andrew Robert Fawcett. And he owned a bunch of land. And there was tenants they were there who were potato farmers. And they were begging for mercy from him. They were like, we, we have no money. We can't pay our debts. We can't pay our debts. And many of the other landowners were kicking them out. And they were dying destitute people all over the place. But Charles Amber, Andrew Robert Fawcett, he was a follower of God. And he began to pray. He's like, what, God, what do I do about this? What do I do about this? And so what he did was he wrote them all a letter, all the people that were tenants who owned him debts on his property. And he sent them a letter. He said, I understand the plight you're going through. I understand the suffering you're facing. But you have a debt, and it must be paid. And if it's not paid, it impacts the entire system, the economic system of Ireland and of the world. It must be paid. But... I'm enclosing a check for you and for your family to pay that debt. And I'll pay it as long as you stay here. That's, that's what God does for us. See, think about this. We could die in our sins, but not for our sins. There are people who die in their sin all the time, right? They never repent. They never turn back to God. But we are not good enough to die for our sins. A certain man, Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander Rufus, was passing by on his way home from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Notice he didn't die on the cross. They say, hey, you take Jesus' place, you die on the cross. No, 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 he couldn't do that, right? He could carry it, but he couldn't die on it. Simon carried the cross, but only a perfect sacrifice could pay the ultimate price. Jesus came and lived 33 sinless years. I mean, literally, he lived sinless life. He was tempted in every way you and I are tempted. But he said no. Next time that temptation comes, understand that we have a God who can identify with us in that temptation, but who also can encourage us to say no. No to sin. No to ungodliness, as it says in Titus. Hey, we are all sinful. That's not a newsflash to any of us, right? We're like, I know, right? I mean, we think about it. Satan reminds us about it all the time. Even the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. And pride keeps most people from coming to Jesus. Here's the thing with pride. Pride says, I can fix it. Hey, we're all Americans. We think we can fix everything, right? You know, we're like, I can do it. I don't need God's help. I don't need somebody to die for me. I'll make it right. I'll be good enough. I'm going to do it. I'm going to work it out. I'll atone for my own sins. I'll make everything right. And their pride and their arrogance keeps people from coming to Jesus. It's about me. It's about what I do. 
And that's religion, right? Religion is about what I do, about what I try to make happen. But it's not about what we do, but about what he's done. And there comes a moment where you and I have to come face to face with Jesus and go, will I allow him to atone for my sin? Will I receive this gift of grace and this gift of mercy? Will I trust him or am I going to say no? I'm going to do it myself. Whenever we go to Israel, we go about every couple of years, we'll do a biblical study tour. And, and we go to, to Jerusalem. It's one of my favorite places. And, and I love being there. And, and we go in Jerusalem in the Jewish quarter. You know, there's these different quarters. In the Jewish quarter, there's a guy named Moshe. And Moshe owns a little shop in the Jewish quarter. And, and Moshe is a Pharisee. Like seriously, like a real live Pharisee. Like Pharisees, like in the Bible, they still have Pharisees, right? The Jews still have Pharisees. So this guy is a Pharisee. And I mean, you go in and he loves to talk. And so he's like in his 60s and he'll like, you know, sometimes he'll just close the shop and go, hey, let's sit down and talk, you know. And he, he loves it. And so we'll get these dialogues and these talks with, with Moshe. And, and Moshe, as a Pharisee, man, he is all about the law. It's all about, you know, I got to be good enough. I got to keep the law. I got to do all these things in the Old Testament. I got to keep that up. And then we start talking about Jesus. <laughs> Right? And he's so close to accepting Christ. He's just so close. But, you know, there's people who are Jews who are Messianic Jews who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, right? But then there's still people as Jews who are waiting on the Messiah to come. And, and he's trying in his mind to figure this thing out, right? And he struggles with that. And you come back to Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, it talks about, this was written 700 years before Jesus, who the Messiah would be, what the Messiah would be like. And it says in verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind. Jesus, right? A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their face. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Remember, they're looking for a political messiah. They're looking for somebody strong who's going to come in and overthrow the Romans and restore Jews to a place of prominence. And now all of a sudden, you see a suffering servant. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we are considered... Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Wow. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And you talk about that, and Moses like, yeah, there's something to that. Man. I mean, there's just something, you know, but you got all this tradition and all this religion and all this. He's like, I know, that's so close. But see, what God was doing was in our hearts and our lives. Atoning for sin, making things right. Because the fact is this, someone or something must pay the price for sin. You got a holy God. You got sinful man. Someone must pay the price. And it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. They crucified him. And the written charge against him, the king of the Jews, the Messiah. The entire sacrificial system in the Old Testament was leading to this moment. You know, a lot of people will read the Bible and they get excited at the beginning of the year. And they're like, hey, I'm going to read the entire Bible through this year. And they're like, they get so pumped. And they're like, yeah, we're going to do it. And they get through Genesis. And they're like, oh, that was so great, right? In the beginning and the creation and Abraham and Joseph. And then they get to Exodus and they're like, oh, this is awesome, right? These people were slaves and God delivered them. And the Red Sea parts, you got the Ten Commandments. And then they get to Leviticus and they're like, 
yeah, forget it. You know, like, it's just like, they just stop. They're like, Leviticus. I mean, like, come on. You know, it's like, ah. Oh. People get bogged down right in Leviticus. And they're just like, oh, I'm done with this. But, but like, hold on, hold on. Leviticus is powerful. And you're, I mean, really, you know, you're going, what are you talking about? Because there's sacrifices and all these sacrifices and you bring the sacrifice and you worship and the, you got the tabernacle. But, but see what God was doing right there. He brings them out of slavery, his people. Right, you got a million, two million people coming out of Egypt. He meets them in the desert and says, this is who I am. And I want to dwell with you, but I'm holy and you're sinful. So here's what we'll do. We'll build a tabernacle. We'll have the Holy of Holies. This will be my little place where I dwell. You can come and worship, but you got to bring a sacrifice. So an animal, right? So you would come and you would bring a lamb or you bring pigeons or something. And, and that blood would be poured out on the altar so that you could worship. That was the whole sacrificial system. It was leading up. Then you got the tabernacle. Then you got the temple. And then God sends his son. The whole thing was for this moment right here. For the wages of sin is death. Something had to die. Something had to die, right? Jesus' death was planned. It wasn't an accident, right? It wasn't like, oh, wow, they caught me. You know, here I am. No, 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 no. Do you know when they came to arrest Jesus, if you go back to the Garden of Gethsemane, if you look in the book of John, this whole detachment of soldiers comes to arrest Jesus. And they, they're looking at, it's not, at night, you know, and Judas betrays Jesus. And then Jesus speaks. He says, I am he. And the entire detachment of soldiers falls down. That's the power of our God. And God says, I'm sending my son for you. To pay the price for your sin. Not just right then, but 2,000 years later. Jesus' death was planned. Jesus' death was purposeful. Had a purpose. You think about this, the only person who was born with a purpose to die. And we were born with a purpose to live, right? We want to live, we want to live, we want to live. And everything in us, we want to live. Jesus came, lived 33 sinless years to die. To die on a cross. When John the Baptist saw Jesus for the first time, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who takes away your sin, who takes away my sin. Praise be to God for Jesus. Hey, baptism is identifying with Jesus in his death, his burial, and resurrection. We identify with Jesus in his death. When you're baptized, you're going to the water. You're dying to your old way of life. Right? And death, his burial, his resurrection. And here's the good news, right? You don't just stay under the water. You know, you come back up. You identify with him in his death, his burial, but then his resurrection. And baptism is this beautiful picture saying, I'm dying to myself and I'm living for Jesus. I'm making Jesus the Lord of my life. I want you to see a family in our church who was baptized recently, and I want you to hear just a little bit of their story. Watch this. My name is Nikki McGrath. And my name is Sean McGrath, and we have been tending Rolling Hills for about six years. I was fortunate enough to always grow up in the church. I had parents and grandparents that always set that example, but I always knew that it was a priority. I knew, always knew that I would end up at church. Um, certainly when I, I thought about who I would marry and spend the rest of my life with, that was something that was really, really important to me. Um, I knew I would always raise my kids in the church as well. Nikki's, um, as she just described, her, her um, faith story was a lot um, more foundational, I would say, than mine. And that really 
kind of became contagious to me. And um, it really took off when we got married and it, it really started to kind of get stronger and stronger each year that, uh, that we were married. And it just, it felt great, it felt awesome. And it really felt like I kind of had some direction and purpose. I would say probably four, four years ago, I started to ask myself, kind of, I kind of felt like I had a good foundation. I was really happy with where my foundation was. And I started to ask the question like, what's next? What more can I do? And I, I really kind of kept coming back to baptism and I felt like that was really the right next step for me. So it started with our, our daughter, Harper, who was, um, she was eight. I almost felt like I had to hold her back sometimes. Like she was, she was ready to get baptized. And, and honestly, you know, Sean used the word contagious. I think her excitement was, um, was contagious. It, it gave us the opportunity to have that same conversation with our son, who was, who's actually four years older, but wasn't as open about taking those kind of steps. And it just gave us that platform and the opportunity to, to talk about it with him as well. Yeah, it was so cool. It was so cool that, well, I kind of had this thought, right, of, of, okay, what's next, and this desire for something more. And then all of a sudden it just, it came up from Harper and she, she had the same thing and she just had so much passion for it. And I just, I loved seeing that, you know, it was just the perfect, perfect sign and perfect way of God saying, okay, look, I mean, you've got this little girl who's got such a passion for this and you know that this is your next step too. And it was just so, so great that we kind of went through that together and that it was really Harper who, who kind of pulled me over over the hurdle, right? I mean, I was kind of right there at the one yard line and just her her passion was just so contagious on me and it just, it kind of pulled me over the, 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 the last little bit. The way that it played out and actually having an opportunity for it to become a family baptism, um, I got to baptize Sean and then to turn around um, and then he was then able to, to baptize, um, baptize our son. We were all in there together. It really was um, a family event and it was, um, it, was, it was really special, very special. Yeah, I mean, the actual act of it was amazing, right? I mean, being able to, to kind of have that moment with my son and just, just explain to him and just look him in the eye and tell him how proud I was of him as, as a father and, uh, and, and as a brother in Christ. I was so proud of him, and then to be able to kind of go through that was really, really powerful and really awesome. I mean, I often think about, um, you know, the greatest days of my life, and, and, and my, you know, being married was certainly up there, and the birth of my children was up there, but I feel like that's got to be right up there, too. I mean, it was just such, a, such an amazing and such a powerful day and such a great, great step for all of us. You just think about the impact on this family. You think about the impact on generations, right? You're just thinking about what God is doing in people's lives as you identify with Jesus and his death, but his burial, but his resurrection, his resurrection. Hey, listen, in Jesus' death, we find God's grace. We find God's grace. Don't miss that, right? Don't just skip over this, let's get to Easter. Hey, we find God's grace. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we can see and believe, right? Because this Messiah does come down off the cross. This Messiah conquers death. This Messiah changes the world and changes your life. Hey, in Jesus' death, we can see the transcendence and the imminence of God. The transcendence of God. That God is sovereign over all. I mean, think about this. God transcends time. God transcends space. I mean, 100 billion galaxies. Are you kidding me? And yet, this sovereign God over all, this creator God who made everything, the eminence, Emmanuel, 
God with us. You see Christmas and Easter, right? That God comes as son. But then at Easter that he comes to the cross to pay the price for your sins. To pay the price for my sins. Remember that verse? For the wages of sin is death, but. You owe this fine, you owe this debt, but. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. <laughs> it's not the end of the story, the wages of sin is death. Oh no, there is the free gift of God. The death of Jesus brings God near to us. Brings God near to us. Holy God making things right with man. Bringing us near. I have a good friend, he's in his 40s now. and He told me about when he was in his 20s that he went through a really dark time in his life. He said, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I, you know, I, I committed my life to Christ when I was young. But then I went to college and I got away from the Lord and I was living for the things of this world. And I, he goes, my life was just kind of spinning out of control. And he goes, and then after I graduated, here I was in my early 20s. And I didn't know what job to do. I, I couldn't keep a job real well. I, he's, he's like, you know, and I was dating this girl and it wasn't working out. And he goes, I was in a dark, dark time. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there now. He said, you know, I, I got to my room at my apartment and I just wondered what life is really about. I was just in that moment of just going, God, is it worth it? And he said, I, for whatever reason, I went over to the bookshelf and I grabbed my Bible, which I hadn't looked at in years. And I pulled it off and he said, you know, I just thought, okay, God, here we go. I'm just going to open to some place. You ever been there? I'm just going to open to some place. And God, if you've got a word for me, God, give it to me. Because I don't have a word right now. I'm in a tough spot. And he said, I opened my Bible. And it just fell to Psalm 34. And it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He said, I just started to weep. I got down on my knees. I said, God, you're here. Hey, God, you're with me. That guy today, he's got six kids. They're all walking with the Lord. They're so active in church. I mean, he's just a leader. It's been unbelievable. But he said, that was the moment God met me. God met me in my brokenness. God met me in my pain. God met me in my hurt. And he said, he's close to the brokenhearted. I said, I don't know where you are today. Maybe that's you. Maybe life hasn't turned out the way you thought. I just want you to know, God hasn't given up on you, so you don't give up on him. Because God's got a plan and a purpose for you. And God is close to you right here, right now. See, because of Jesus' death, Christians pass from life to life. You know, death is simply a passageway. This life to eternal life. The best is still to come. The best is still to come. As Christ followers, it tells us in 1 Thessalonians, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. I remember that time seven years ago when I'm sitting with my dad. And I grieved. I knew my dad was passing from this life to the next life, and I knew I was going to miss him. I grieved, but I didn't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Because of Jesus' death, I knew I would see my dad again. I know I'll be with him for eternity. And what an incredible promise and incredible truth for all of us. Maybe there's somebody in your life you miss. 
But I want you to know this, that God is faithful. God is with you in that brokenness. But God also promises you will be with him and with those you love forever. If they are in Christ, I love what it tells us in Romans. Romans chapter 8. It says, what then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, think about that. If God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. I mean, God didn't spare Jesus from the cross. The price had to be paid. He didn't spare him. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I mean, you think if God didn't withhold his son for you, so you could spend eternity with him, is there anything that God would withhold from you? God is with you. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. He died. But more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God. And is also interceding for us. If you think about what is Jesus doing today, he's interceding for you. He's interceding to the Father for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are in a broken, fallen world. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our Savior died for you. And nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Wow. Will you come face to face with the Jesus who loves you today? Will you come face to face with Jesus who paid the price for your sins today? How will you respond to this Jesus? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes right now, just for a moment. This is you and God. Maybe today you just want to be grateful. (laughs) Hey, thank you, God, that it wasn't me on that cross. Thank you, God, for your love and for your grace. Maybe today is the day of salvation, and you just go, Jesus, I've been trying to do it myself. I've been prideful. I've been arrogant. Today, I commit my life to you. Maybe God's been speaking to you about baptism. (laughs) And you've been putting God off. Why not say, God, I'll I'll do it. We have baptism on Easter. I'll do it. Maybe today, there's there's a place in your life where you've gotten casual with sin. (laughs) And you think it's no big deal. And yet God is saying, it's a big deal. Put my son on a cross. Or maybe today there's just grief. And it's hard. And life's challenging. But I want you to know that even in the depths, God is there. God is close to the brokenhearted. God loves you with an everlasting love. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Nothing can separate you from the love that's in Christ Jesus. So, Father, thank you for your presence. God, meet us in this moment right here, right now. 
Let us have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And I pray that our lives will be changed. I pray that, Father, we would have hope and joy and peace and purpose, knowing that you are with us and you are for us. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus that we pray and we respond right now. Thank you for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If this podcast episode has blessed you in some way, we hope you will tell a friend about us and subscribe so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Be sure to explore our other great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's Podcast as you go. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. See you next time, and God bless.